Welcome in everybody to the, uh, oh man, I don't even know what, what episode we're on, 18? 19. 19. Episode 19 of the ASN podcast, Daily Dan, Parlay Pete here. The guy who's um, never right. Yeah, you don't have your name as Parlay Pete today, you want to explain that one? Yeah, I don't know, I've just been swinging and missing lately after a hot start to the year. Uh, I, I've just been swinging and missing, so I'm just going to go with the guy who's never right up until I redeem myself. Uh, I think I'm only on a two-game losing streak. I was... I was consistent with what the Jets were doing. So it was like every time the Jets would lose, I would lose. Every time they'd win, I'd win. But this week it was reversed. I lost and they won. So happy about that. But my pride took a little bit of, bit of a hit. But Dan, 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 this is the first time in two weeks that we, we're talking. Well, we talk to each other basically every day. But uh, this is the first time we're, we're recording a podcast in a couple of weeks. Obviously, there's been so much to... That, that has happened, that has to go over. I know we're a little bit pressed for time, so if this episode is a little bit shorter than usual, we apologize. But, you know, life gets in the way. Life happens. So the first thing I want to say, and the most important thing that I want to say is we didn't get a chance to wish any of you guys a happy Thanksgiving. We did make a Instagram post, Twitter post, but formally happy Thanksgiving, belated Thanksgiving to all of you and all your family. We hope you had a healthy, safe holiday. We hope you guys didn't have too much of political issues at the dinner table because God knows I absolutely hate that. But we hope you guys had a, a beautiful holiday. And that leads me into my first question for you, Dan. How are you and how was your Thanksgiving? I am good and, and my Thanksgiving was great. What did you uh, do? <laughs> uh, we went over my grandmother's. We had uh, all, all the f- usual Thanksgiving food you can imagine, you know, stuck to, s- stuck to tradition. Um, you know, usual Thanksgiving traditions over the years. And uh, I can't complain being with family, with food, with football. All right. Can't complain. Yeah, definitely not. How was your Thanksgiving? It was good. It, it, you know, I feel like I say this about at least one holiday a year, but it, it didn't feel like Thanksgiving to me. Maybe because it, it crept up on me a little bit faster than usual. My girlfriend actually worked on Thanksgiving, so I was basically alone for most of the day. So Maybe that's another reason why it didn't feel like Thanksgiving. But I was the sisterhood of the traveling pens. I went to three different houses uh, on Thanksgiving. Actually, well, four if you count my parents' house. So I went to four different houses on Thanksgiving. So it was very, very eventful, but I had a good time. And I guess that's all that really matters. But very popular. Yeah, well, I, I don't. I was only invited to one, so oh, I don't know how popular right. I really am. Well, maybe but, next year. Maybe next year now you'll be invited to three. Yeah, maybe maybe Four. I'll make the cut. I wasn't even invited to my parents' house. So that should tell you what you need to know. <laughs> but <laughs> but you know, before we get into everything, now that we're on the subject, I have to ask you one very important question during this time of the year. So. I asked a lot of my coworkers this, and to be honest with you, their answer was very telling to the personality that they have. And my opinions changed a little bit on some people. So my my opinion might change a little bit on you here. Are you ready? What is your favorite Thanksgiving side? Mashed potatoes. Okay. That's okay. That is that is probably the most ideal answer. Okay. So that makes me feel better. I mean, there were some people that were saying turnips. There were some people that were saying candied yams. I mean, I was it was all over the place. It was terrible. Personally, my my favorite, and maybe this is because I don't know if this is served everywhere, but my girlfriend's mom makes it, and it is the best that I've ever had. Uh, the sweet potato pie that she makes is easily my favorite side. Now, it's not really – you could say that it's a side because it's not served with dessert. A sweet potato pie is more 
of the savory than of the sweet. So I would have to say sweet potato pie for me. I actually just like a fat piece of crap right before we just started Right before we started uh, recording, I finished the rest of the pie that she left for me at my house. So I shoveled two pieces in my. I was going to eat it on the podcast and just say deal with it, but <laughs> but I, I I had a little bit more time well, than there, I thought. There's but. a there's a grace period, you know. You can keep eating your Thanksgiving food for like a week after. I don't. I, I won't judge you. Yeah, uh, I mean, you're, even you're if you were, it didn't. It doesn't matter. Food, you might as well savor it for a few days. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I, I, you know. The, the fat ass in me wanted to eat like the whole thing the first night, but I figured, well, if she's giving it to me, I might as well save it for a couple of days, see how far it takes me. It didn't take me that far because I didn't have a piece two nights ago, so I basically ate the rest of the pie over the last two days, but that's okay. It's it's bulking season. It's, you know, I got to get, I got to put my holiday weight on that I usually do, and then the new year I'll lose like 30 pounds, and it's just a never-ending cycle. I'm sure you know about that as well. well but It sounds like you showed some restraint, though, by not eating it all in one day. That's good, right? The, re- the reason why is because my a my girlfriend was with me at that time, and she was like, "You better not eat that whole pie in front of my family." So that kind of stopped me. And then I went Black Friday shopping, and then I took like a three hour nap on Friday. So that day was kiboshed. So, <laughs> but regardless, sweet potato sweet potato pie aside, mashed potatoes aside, very glad that you said that. By the way, that makes me very very happy. I'm glad I passed the test. Yeah, you did. So. Obviously, the biggest thing, believe it or not, if you want to count world sports that has been going on, not just American sports, and you might even be able to argue that American sports this week or until however far the United States national team goes, but it's the World Cup. It is the one time every four years where like four out of the seven billion people on earth will unite to be fake soccer fans for, you know, like... Uh, a month-long period or however long their team is in the tournament. So I figured we should talk a little bit about that. I know you've been very up-to-date. You're not, uh, you know, with, with all your updates that you do, you're, you're not up-to-date on, like, EPL and Syria and all that kind of stuff because it's hard enough for you to keep track, I'm sure, of the major American sports as it is. But I know you've been keeping track of this one. Uh I mean, obviously, there's been some big surprises, a couple of results that you look at right away. You know, you look at Argentina losing their first game against Saudi Arabia. You see Japan beating Germany. And, and Germany really has to be the biggest the, the biggest surprise for me so far. Only one point through two games. Uh, you know, they, they, like you said, we lost to Japan. They tied with Spain yesterday, but had a chance to win at the end. I don't know if you caught that with uh, Leroy Sané in on goal, and he completely fluffed it wide. Uh, you know, th- a huge opportunity for them. And th- they're on the verge of being out of the tournament two straight World Cups in the group stage after winning the whole thing in 2014. So you got to figure that's a big letdown there. I know Portugal just won, so they're two for two. Uh, they're essentially through. I'm pretty sure it uh, Brazil are through and France are through, and that's the only three teams so far. That are through, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that's it. Only uh, only three. And th- the the second slate of games in every group is over as of as of a few minutes ago. We're recording this on uh, on Monday afternoon. So as of the end of that Portugal game, uh, every team has played two games, if I'm correct. I believe yeah. I am. Um, and only three have advanced, and only two are eliminated, I believe. That's Canada and Qatar. So uh, the ne- that means the next four days there's going to be a lot of movement. I think there's a there's a really good handful of games that literally decide um, a spot in the knockout stage that you know essentially are 
uh, win in advance, lose and go home, starting with the U.S. and Iran tomorrow. So uh, that should be – it makes for some good entertainment. I mean, things are, are pretty close this year. Yeah, it, it, it definitely makes it that much more entertaining. I feel like 2018 was really the first World Cup that we saw where a lot of the new teams – you know, kind of started taking over the, the the superpowers of the world where you had a couple surprise teams in the round of 16. You even had, you didn't have teams in there like the U.S., the Netherlands, Italy. You, you know what I mean? Now you you look, the Netherlands is leading group A. You know what I mean? You got England and leading group B. But the USA has really, really surprised me. As, as much as a disappointment as that first game was against Wales, where, you know, they, I mean, a bad foul by Walker Zimmerman in the box leads to a Gareth Bale goal, of course. Uh, they played outstanding against England. I really think that they kind of showed that the U.S. isn't a pushover anymore when it comes to international soccer, at least. I know that we're still, I, I think, what, what are we ranked? I think 16th in the world, right? The USA. Yeah, so. That sounds so, right. It's 16. And, you know, England's a big superpower. I know that they get they get memed all the time in all these big tournaments because they're always supposed to win it and they never do. And and to be fair, they do usually have a cookie cutter way all the way through to the final like they did in the Euros last year as well. They had a cookie cutter dance all the way and then lost to Italy in the final. Uh, they never really win it on the big stage. But, you know, number five in the world, England. And, and the United States basically dictated the pace of that game. And Greg Berhalter's tactics, uh, he definitely outplayed Gareth Southgate. And that was something that I really didn't expect. I really thought it was going to be kind of the swan song, really, for the United States in the World Cup. Because if they got dominated by England, I, I, you know, Iran has looked really, really good so far. Well, not, not in the first game, but <laughs> they looked really good against Wales as well. So it's not going to be an easy task for the United States to beat Iran. You know, it, it's... It's going to be tough. The United States are a good striker away from being a decent world superpower, but they just have no good guys up top. I mean, they Haji Wright started against England. They had did Josh Sargent start against Wales? I think he did. Like the, those are not great strikers. One plays in at the bottom half of the first division in Turkey. The other one plays in the Championship in England. They need like a world class striker, and I think they'll they'll be well off, but I think they could do it. I, I, and I think that they can make some noise in, in, in the knockout rounds as well. I could see the United States going to the quarterfinal, you know, as a surprise. You know, you wonder kind of, um, I, I think the big, the big wonder going into that England matchup was this is an extremely young American team, really young. I, I think there's some, some stats on that out there about how young they are compared to other other teams in this World Cup and, and past American World Cup teams. And you wonder how the pressure would affect them. Um, obviously, after the, the tie with Wales, there was a lot of pressure going into that huge matchup with England. Uh, so, you know, if if they're under a lot of pressure tomorrow against Iran, which they should be because it's a, it's a win-or-go-home game, yeah. uh, you'd have to think that you're no longer really concerned about them crumbling under the pressure because they, they went into that game against England they fought harder, I think, than anyone expected. They they hung with them better than expected. Late in the first half, I think you could say that the U.S. was outplaying them. I mean, the U.S. had so many more opportunities, they just couldn't finish them. I actually um, think England held, like played alongside the United States at some at some yeah. point. So, so you would, you would think really that, that game. Yeah, you would think that if they could create opportunities against England and not finish them, that maybe against Iran, uh, they can 
they can create opportunities and finish them. You know, Iran lost, what was it, 6-2 to two to England. Should be a weaker group, although they, you're right, they did look much better against Wales. Uh, this is a, a group that's very high on confidence, and clearly they're not letting the pressure get to them. So, you know, if, if you feel like you're kind of playing with house money, which I think is what they feel like now after that matchup with England, yeah, there, there's really no telling how much damage they could do in the knockout stage, but they have to get there first. Um, and unfortunately, because of the result against England, it's going to take a win, not just a tie. So, you know, one, one, uh, one day at a time. Yeah, I mean, sorry, I'm chewing on some ice. You caught me off guard that you were going to speak for another 30 seconds. But, um, yeah, it's, it's not ideal. But like you said, I mean, if they played that well against the fifth ranked team in the world, I'm pretty sure Iran is down towards 28 or, or 31 or something like that. I know that really you could throw those rankings out the window at the end of the day. It doesn't really matter, but uh, it's going to be interesting to see. So hopefully by this time next week, we'll still be talking about the United States in a positive light in terms of soccer. But another, I guess, twofold surprise I want to talk about is the crumbling of the Belgian national team and the rise of Morocco, who have played very, very well so far. I believe what Morocco and Croatia drew in the first in the first game. And then Morocco came out and pretty much dominated Belgium from beginning to end. And I know it, it, it came out earlier in the week that Kevin De Bruyne, one of the, 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 the best midfielder in the world, in my opinion, came out and said, well, we're too old to win the World Cup. And then they lose to Morocco. And then Jan Vertagen goes well, uh, you know, maybe our attack is a little bit too old. So they went from being a golden generation to one of the top five teams ranked in the world to now looking like they are almost certainly on the way out of the World Cup with one point, uh, three points. They did beat, they did beat uh, Canada, but Morocco has a favorable matchup against Canada, and then Croatia is no easy task for Belgium. So Belgium absolutely need a win, and then. Morocco to lose for them to qualify. So a lot has to happen for them to make it to the knockout round. And, and Morocco actually has a few decent players on that team. I didn't realize it until I was looking at the highlights yesterday, looking at the lineup. You know, they have um, a few really, really good guys. Hakim Zayek, Ashraf Hakimi as well. You know, guys who play in the European superpowers. So uh, I was I was surprised that and like I said they dominated basically from beginning to end so they deserved that that win it wasn't a, it wasn't a fluke win they definitely deserved it. That's got to be the most fascinating group, right? I mean, Croatia had that great run to the the final in 2018, and then for a while in 2018, I thought Belgium was going to win it. They they seemed like they had the best, uh, they had the the most scoring potential of every team, and then they they ended up flaming out. Um, and then Canada has been. Even even in they are the second team eliminated, but even in two losses, they almost seem better than expected. They actually fought yeah. really well against Belgium, um, and of course, they took that early lead uh, against Croatia. Couldn't hold on to it. Um, Croatia is the better team, but and then yeah, Morocco's on the rise. You know, you have two teams that look like powerhouses um, at different points in 2018, and uh, one one might have well one of them is going to advance because Canada's out, but it'll be interesting to see whether it's it's Belgium that ends up on the sideline or if you know or if Croatia has a surprise loss or Morocco surges ahead. It's it's an interesting group. It's definitely um, shaking up what we what we what we expected. Yeah, and it's definitely been an interesting World Cup up until this point. Uh, I mean, you know. Everything aside, all human rights violations aside with, you know, Qatar and 
all that kind of stuff. It's been pretty interesting. So, and also I've noticed as well um, through some research and through just watching the games, besides for that game today between Serbia and Cameroon, uh, a lot of teams are kind of taking it easy in the first half and then kind of going full 100% in the second half. And I thought that that was kind of a, a silly tactic, but if you look at the, you know, you look at the temperatures on the field. I know it's not crazy. I think I saw the other day, I, I forget what game it was, but it was only like, it was only like 80 degrees. And I know that doesn't sound, you know, crazy, but on the pitch, it's probably closer to 95 or a hundred degrees. So these guys really do have to save their energy. And, and if you look at the stats, there are way more goals scored in the second half than the first half. Yeah. So I think this tactic is, is definitely being used by a lot of teams. So a lot of interesting things are going into this World Cup. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out and how we monitor it over the next week. Uh, hopefully over the next six days, maybe we'll be able to record next su- Sunday. We'll, we'll talk about that after. But I think it's a good time, a good point to move on to what we're really here for. And that is the NFL recap. And Dan, believe it or not, we are almost, besides for tonight's game between the Colts and the Steelers, we're 12 weeks through this NFL season already. Yeah, we've got a, it. It's so weird. I was, you know, just posting about different teams yesterday and, and mentioning that they all have like five games left. You know, so most of them have six, but uh, some teams haven't even hit a buy yet, like the Panthers and Bears. Uh, it's it's amazing how quickly it moves. I mean, I guess I guess look, it's Thanksgiving, so no surprise. Um, and if we didn't have that seventeenth game, we'd be even closer to the end. Uh, but I saw I saw an NFL reporter. I think it was maybe. Tom Pelissero tweet earlier about clinching scenarios next week. Teams are already on the verge of clinching playoff spots. Uh, so that's how close we are to the finish line here. But if, if yesterday is any indication, it's going to be a, a pretty wild ride to the finish. Yeah. I mean, there's uh, just so many, I mean, if you look at, I was watching the game last night between the Eagles and the Packers, which was much more enjoyable than I thought it was going to be. But they showed the NFC East standings, and now after to, you know yesterday's game, you got the Eagles at ten and one, the Cowboys at eight and three, Giants at seven and four, and I'm pretty sure the Commanders at seven and five as well. I mean, it's yeah. it's a fantastic division. And then on the flip side, the AFC East is basically the same thing too. You have four perennial playoff teams, <clears throat> pardon me, in in both divisions, and I don't really think anyone thought either division was going to be much of a challenge for. You know, I, I don't think anyone really expected the Eagles to be as good as they are. And everyone thought the Bills were just going to absolutely run away with the division. So it, it's it's interesting to see there's so many teams that could end up in the playoffs. And I don't think anyone besides for the Texans has been eliminated from postseason contention, right? Have the Texans actually been eliminated? I, I don't even know. I mean, they're 1-9-1. and you know one, so I, I, think just... they're, I think they're five and a half back with six games to go. So they are on the verge of it. If I if I have that math correct, Jesus Christ! But there, there's only one team from. Uh, well, I, I that feels like I'm attacking that one team. So I'm not. There's seven of the eight teams from the East divisions are in a playoff spot as of today. The only one that isn't is the Patriots, who are six and five and have the tiebreaker over the seventh seed, which would be, of course, mm. the Jets. It wouldn't that be so fitting? Well, you know, I don't think they're going to make it though because that that schedule was extremely tough down the stretch. They already ran into it with the Vikings. But they've got the Bills twice, the Dolphins, the Bengals. It's going to be tough. Yeah. So, but, you know, if the Commanders make it and the Patriots don't, or the Patriots do and the Commanders don't, you know, we might be looking at seven of eight teams from the East Divisions, which means only one wild card team uh, from outside the divisions. Right now, that's the Bengals. 
Yeah, it's wow. I didn't even realize that, but it's it's shaping up to be one of the most exciting NFL seasons I could remember in in recent memory or long term memory. And there's just so much parity in the league right now that it's just making it that much better. Like, let, let's be real, Dan. Did we really expect the Jets to be seven and four through eleven games? Because I sure as hell didn't. Same thing with the Giants. There's just so much parity all over the league, and it's. It sh- I mean, you have the 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 Packers who are bad, the Buccaneers who are under 500, the Rams are the worst defending Super Bowl champions we've ever seen. Like, who would have guessed? I mean, if you really look at all these under a microscope, all teams had issues. One has a 45-year-old quarterback going through a multi-million dollar divorce. Uh, one guy is coming off of an offseason full of ayahuasca, and he has no wide receivers. And then... No the, thumb either. And then... Yeah, yes, bad thumb. And then the Rams have just no offensive line and horrible financial situations. So, yeah, I guess if you look under every situation in a microscope, you could have said, well, we could have saw this coming. But for those three teams to be, I guess, as bad as they are, it's it's quite interesting. But moving on to – not moving on, kind of diving into the games itself this week. Now, so far through this week, I what were you last week? Because I know we didn't get a chance to talk about it, so – if we talk last about week, it now, really good. What were there? Were there fourteen games last week? Uh, there were fifteen had... games last week. Oh wait, hold on, because I had in my head twelve and two. Um, now is also a good time for me to mention I did not get my Thanksgiving picks into the pick'em in time on Thursday. The oh my for me god! No, I did get this all of them guy. right. You can tell it's an Instagram exclusive. If you go to my, if you go to ASN, you can see my picks for the guy. week posted on Thursday. <laughs> this guy's unbelievable, I tell you. Consistently fumbling the bag is Dan Tracy over here. There were, there were 14 games last week. There were. Games. I'm sorry. I was looking. I was looking at the wrong thing. So I went 12 and two last week. It was an. It was a, probably my best week. Yes. I went 12 and two last week. I went 10 and four last week, but um, not as good as 12 and two, obviously. And this week, so far through 15 of the 16 games, I'm 11 and four. Yeah, I got a – let's see. Let's do some math on this. Oh, boy. Um, I think I started off strong. Yeah, I got the whole Thanksgiving slate right. So there's 3-1, uh, and 3-2, and 4-2, and 5-2, and 5-3, and 5-4, and 6-4, 7-4, 7-5, 8-5, 9-5, 10-5. Okay, 10-5. and five. All right, so you're only a game behind me. Yeah, but... you got the advantage right now. Yeah, oh, boy. Um, but – the first game, obviously, that's on the slate, talking about, was the first game that was on Thanksgiving. And this was a much, much better game than I think any of us really anticipated, was the Buffalo Bills in their second straight game in Ford Field against the Detroit Lions. And I think if you would have looked at this game three weeks ago, and you were looking ahead, you were, wow, the Bills going into Detroit on Thanksgiving, like, that's going to be rough. But... We forget that the Detroit, the Detroit Lions rattled off, what, three straight wins? Yeah. And they looked a hell of a lot better, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Offensively this year, minus a blank by the Patriots' defense, the Detroit Lions have had absolutely no problem scoring any points. Their offense is pretty electric, honestly. you got Jamal Williams, who has like 13 touchdowns, which I don't think I didn't have it on my bingo card this year for the NFL. But – yeah, it, it was a much better matchup than I think we anticipated, or at least long-term anticipated. But the Buffalo Bills are 8-3, and three, but I don't feel as confident in the Buffalo Bills as 
I think I should. I don't know. There's just so many holes, I feel like, in their game right now. Maybe they're just slumping all around as a team. I know that they're pretty decimated on the defensive side with injuries, but Josh Allen doesn't look himself. I got to think that elbow is a little bit in a little bit worse shape than we think. Part of me wonders if they're if they're just a little bored. Um, I know there's a lot to fight for. I mean, they're in the five seed right now. They don't want to have to go on the road in the playoffs. They should be motivated. But look, they are a team that everything is about winning in the playoffs. It's no longer about the regular season. Everything is okay. Once we get to the playoffs, if we lose. Um, you know, the divisional round or even the even the conference title game, uh, then we did all this for nothing. So part of me wonders if they're just kind of slogging along to the playoffs and, and trying to, to just ride their talent. Uh, but clearly they're going to have to step it up, especially because they play the Dolphins again. And that game is may even decide the division Yeah, uh, when those two play because they're tied right now and the Dolphins have the tiebreaker. If they end up losing that game, uh, you know, there's a, a – essentially a two-game advantage for the Dolphins. I don't even know which week they play, but there's not many weeks left. Uh, so so they're going to have to get this, get themselves together. Part of the issue, though, now is Von Miller is injured, and uh, he's only supposed to be out, I think, a, a couple weeks. Yeah. Maybe. But he's on the older side. He's dealt with injuries in the past, uh, including with the knee. So you have to, they have to try to kind of balance, okay, should we bring him back because we need to win these regular season games? Should we pull them out into the playoffs, and then you don't have a much of a pass rush. There are some questions for the Bills right now. Uh, but I, I still think that team is so talented. I mean, they, they showed it against the Chiefs when they went to Arrowhead and beat the Chiefs. Um, it was different than last year when the Chiefs were really, really slumping, kind of like the Bills are right now during the regular season. Um, okay, maybe not fair to say the Bills are slumping, but they're definitely not playing up to their potential. Uh, I, but I know that they're talented. They haven't lost enough through injuries that I'm I've suddenly lost confidence that they can go and win a championship I still think they can but it might help them to turn it up right now so that they don't end up in the five seed and going to Miami going to Kansas City Baltimore wherever in the playoffs yeah it's I don't know I like I said I, I might just be splitting hairs here because we've seen how fantastic Josh Allen has been over the last couple of years and now this is really the first time that he's Kind of his numbers are pretty pedestrian for Josh Allen standards over the past few years. What he got, twelve or thirteen picks now, or something like that. Yeah, but but he still got that. Those he still has those moments. I mean, the Lions left him what twenty four. Yeah, like yeah, that. I knew. I, I, even, like I even said to my uncle, we were watching the game, and I think it was what twenty four seconds or whatever. I said, "This is too much time that they left them." Uh, but you know, I'm talking purely from a numbers standpoint. I mean, he's making a lot of stupid decisions with the football. Uh, and that's okay in the regular season when you're still winning games. It is a little bit different in the playoffs. I mean, obviously a playoff-like atmosphere against the Minnesota Vikings comes to mind, uh, you know, basically throwing the game away by himself. You could argue that he kind of threw the game away himself against the Jets as well. Uh, yeah, I think he's just got to clean up his act a little bit. Obviously Josh Allen is still Josh Allen, uh, and the Bills are still the Bills at the end of the day, but I think they look a little bit more vulnerable in the last few weeks than than we expected them to look. Uh, from the Lions side of the ball, it's just it's just you know not executing again. You have to think that if Michael Badgley hits that twenty nine yard field goal, it's a different game. Uh, I I I don't want to praise the Lions because like I feel like we've been doing this all year. Every time they lose and they play good, we're like you know those Lions are really trying. But they did you know, win three in a row. I mean they. It's not like this is the game against the Seahawks where they came up short. You know, they won three in a row 
and then they almost beat the Bills. So I, yeah, I'm yeah. starting to get, I'm starting to get some more confidence in them. And Jamison Williams is getting close to a return, which I know you're excited about. This, I am. This definitely is the game. This, this is definitely the Lions team I was expecting this year. The way that they played the last four weeks is the Lions team that I'm expecting. Fun fact: I don't think I've told you, but. During the national championship game last year, uh, I was watching it with one of my old coworkers at my old job, and Jamison Williams made that catch over the middle and ran. And I screamed out, I said, that's a future New York Jet, baby. And that was the exact moment that he went down and tore his ACL as <laughs> soon as I said that. So I I'm I either cursed him or he heard me mention Jets and said, oh, shit, and just fell down and tore his ACL. So He's going to be great, but I'm happy with Garrett Wilson. Yeah, me too. Uh, he's yeah. I mean, they're both exceptional. We'll get we'll get to Garrett Wilson in a little bit, but yeah, I, I, like I said, I don't really want to praise them, but three and one over the past four weeks, I guess you got to give them a little clap, clap, clap for that and uh, pushing the Bills to the absolute limit. I did pick the Bills. You said you said that you were perfect on Thanksgiving, so okay, we'll go with that. But <laughs> yes, so we have, the, we have the proof on Instagram if anybody wants. <laughs> I know I like to tease you because I don't know how you're such a precise human being and you forget that this is like the second week you've done this. Yeah, that you well, forget you know, the game's at 12.30 on Thanksgiving now. So that, that's always uh, something that throws me off. Unbelievable. The next game was the 425 game between – I was actually excited for this one. I'm usually – I feel like the 425 game usually sucks. I feel like it's always the one that kind of lets down the most. And this this year was the Dallas Cowboys and the New York Giants. And this was the game where the New York Giants were going to tell us if they were contenders or pretenders. And they are pretenders. Yeah, 23 uh, – sorry, 28-20 doesn't really yep, do it justice. It, it was really 28-13. Yeah, they, they – and the Giants led in the first half. I mean, they looked; they were playing their their style of football in the first half. They were that so was the, de- the defense intercepted Dak Prescott twice. The offense did just enough, um, but the second half showed us who the better team was. I think there's no doubt that the Cowboys are the better team. Um, you know, I, I had somebody in my comments saying like, "Oh, well, you know, good teams usually split in the in the di- split the division. You know, when they play two games yeah. against each other, which I usually agree with." So, I agree with that. But this, but this Giants fan was like, so I've got them down for a win in Dallas on Thanksgiving. I think they're going to win, you know, definitely going to win in Dallas because they lost the first time. I was like, yeah, are you sure? <laughs> like, first of all, we, we you you know, you could just follow the NFL for one week to know that guarantees like that are ridiculous. But, uh, you know, who really thought that the Giants were the better team going into this game? I thought that the the spread, which I think was Cowboys by nine, was a little extreme. And as it turned out, the Giants came in and, and covered it. Yeah, I had at the, it at the at the very end, um, but maybe it wasn't so extreme. I mean, the the Cowboys looked like the better team all around in this game. The offense had a little bit of a slow start, but it looked great in the second half. C.D. Lamb had an outstanding game. The running game was really good. Ezekiel Elliott looked good, and of course, the defense showed up. Yeah, C.D. Lamb was two inches away from one of the most ridiculous touchdown catches I've ever seen, as well. Uh, but. Yeah, you nailed it on on the head exactly. I mean, the Giants, listen, we know what style, through 11 games, we know what they're going to bring. You're going to bring a hard-dosed defense that plays probably, they punch above their weight for the most part, because if you look at the talent on their defense, sometimes it doesn't line up to the teams that they play, and yet yet they are beating the teams that they play. Uh, They're going to come with a feisty, scrappy, hard-nosed defense. They're going, you're going to get a lot of Saquon Barkley. And you're going to get, you know, you're going to get a decent version of Daniel Jones. But 
you know, the fact of the matter is the, the formula to beating this Giants team is if you shut down Saquon or at least hold him in check and you make the – and I'm not even talking about Daniel Jones. If you just make the Giants as an entirety of an offense throw the football, you're going to beat them because as good as Daniel Jones has played this year, and I think his numbers don't tell the whole story, I think he has played much better than his numbers indicate. They just don't have the receiving core or anyone really to, to match up with any defense. So if you force them to throw the football 35, 40 times, you're probably going to beat them. Yeah, and Brian Dable's style of offense is throwing the football. He's, and this is very smart by him, he's adapting to what they have. But this is not what he likes to do. This, is, this is just isn't ideal. And Mike Kafka, who's the offensive coordinator who he's letting call the plays, uh, comes from the Chiefs. He was he was helping to run the Patrick Mahomes offense where they never run the ball. Uh, so the, the Giants are kind of playing out of Dable's element right now. And obviously it's not – obviously it's by design, but it's not what they want. Uh, they would mm-hmm. like to have receivers, and I think that the priority of this offseason is going to be getting receivers. You can no longer rely on, oh, well, Sterling Shepard's going to get healthy and Kenny Galladay is going to be healthy and turn it around and, um, you know, Darius Slayton's going to have – no, you got to go out and get a star. Or if not a star, you know, a decent number one or two good number twos because that's the way the Giants are going to win. They, they can't really stick to this, you know, run game and defense thing that Brian Dable isn't comfortable running. Um, I think the goal right now is just get into the playoffs and see what you can do because sometimes in the playoffs, the defense does make the difference. Oh, yeah. um, interestingly, though, what we I think what nobody expected is the Giants have two games coming up against the Commanders that are huge for both teams. I, there was a time when I think they were 6-1 and one and 1-6, one and or 1-5, I should say. Um, maybe maybe one and four. I might be stretching that for the commanders, but I think I think I think you were right. I think it was one and five. Either way, um, you know the commanders all of a sudden not only can establish themselves as a legitimate playoff team, they can knock the Giants out. And the way they're playing, it feels like they can do it. Yeah, I mean, you know, we'll we'll get to the commanders, but it, it feels like those two teams are actually pretty evenly matched. Uh, and that's bad news for the Giants because the right now the only other team competing for a wild card spot, the Seahawks, uh, has the tiebreaker advantage, head-to-head tiebreaker over yeah. the Giants. So if those two end up tied for that final spot, it's going to be Seattle. So you know it's a it's a long-winded way of saying the Giants are actually in some trouble here. These games against the Commanders are going to be massive. Yeah, and. You know, I don't want people to right away assume that I'm a Giants hater because I'm a Jet fan. I've stated it before that the only the only way that I don't root for the Giants to win or at least do well is when they're playing the Jets. I do not mind the Giants at all. Never, you know, whatever it may be. But I, they're just not as good as people think they are. And like I said, they got exposed against the Cowboys. And like you said, these games are huge. I could see them losing both games to the Commanders. And I know that... that Probably won't happen because the Giants usually play the Commanders very well. So they usually escape with one win, regardless of how good or bad they are. But it remains to be seen. It's going to be a tough one. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be tough sledding for the Giants the rest of the way. I had the Cowboys in this game, and I guess Dan's making it up as he goes along. He has the, <laughs> the Cowboys oh, as well. <laughs> and then... Probably the last game for Thanksgiving, the game that was definitely the most interesting, and I don't think anyone expected it to be not only A, as good as it was, and B, as offensive as it was. Yeah. That's 
the Vikings and the Patriots, 33-26. Probably probably Mac Jones' best game as as a as a quarterback in the NFL, I would like to think. At least maybe, maybe not necessarily statistically, but I think he performed excellent. I think he was he was excellent against the Minnesota Vikings. And I don't really know how the Minnesota Vikings won this game because I don't think Kirk particularly looked that great. Uh, Justin Jefferson is just on another level. I think we could both agree on that. That's why they won that game. He, yeah, pretty he much. Looked, I mean, he was catching everything that came his way. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. And after a strong start, the defense kind of crumbled for the for the New England Patriots. Uh, I mean, it, it, it was interesting to me because if you look at the numbers, I think Dalvin Cook ran the ball, I think it was like 22 times for 43 yards. Or something like that. So essentially, the Vikings were one-dimensional. And usually, when Bill Belichick can get a, a, an offense to be one-dimensional, it's usually game over for you. But I guess he didn't factor in Justin Jefferson. I think that it's as simple as that. I mean, Justin Jefferson was the best player on the field. I, I, I tweeted something. You know, fifty-fifty balls for him look like ninety-ten. That he's got a ninety percent <laughs> chance of catching them. It, it's it's almost unbelievable how it routinely happens. And there's really nothing you could do to stop it. I mean, they were covering him. The Bills covered him in that in that other game. You just you can't really stop it. Uh, but luckily, Kirk Cousins knew to throw it at Justin Jefferson. He wasn't trying to spread the ball around or anything. He wasn't messing around. He knew this is a game they they wanted to win. Kirko um, chains. He's he's elite, right? He's hey he got the no he's only elite in one o'clock games, but he got the dub on a primetime game. On a holiday, his record so. is actually pretty decent outside of Monday night football. It, Sunday nights he's like okay, and Thursday nights I think he's actually pretty good. Uh, Monday nights are like one in eleven or one in twelve or something like that. Oh my God! So, so really, really, it's it's just that Monday night slot that gives him a lot of trouble. But I, I have to agree with you. Mac Jones played at least his best game of the season, and I, I want to give him a, a shout out for that last pass to uh, to Aguilar because Nelson Aguilar completely misplayed that. Yeah, it, it, he he could have. I would that would have tied the game, I guess, with an extra point. Do I have that right? Yeah. I mean, he essentially made the throw to tie the game. Aguilar just, you know, looked like the Eagles' version of Nelson Aguilar. Well, it yeah. was a really good throw. It was it's not something you usually see from Mac Jones. See, yeah, you know, like I'll put it to you this way: that was a perfectly underthrown ball. And what I mean by that is he threw it. He underthrew it on purpose because. If he puts that right on Nelson Aguilar's chest, it's probably an interception. So, you know, as opposed to Zach Wilson last week against the Patriots, where he underthrew that ball to Denzel Mims, and it was just an accident. If you know, it, it was it was a complete accident, and Denzel Mims adjusted correctly. But I mean, it sucks that Mac Jones had to trust Nelson Aguilar with the game on the line because we know that that really doesn't ever work out for anyone. Uh, but. I think he played excellent. Uh, I, I really do. And, and this is coming from a guy who thinks that Mac Jones is not a very good NFL uh, quarterback. So, you know, seeing a performance like that against a fairly okay Minnesota Vikings defense, it's not anything great. It's not bad, though. I think he played very, very well. Uh, it was it was a really exciting game. I did have the Vikings in this game. I, I did think that they were going to pull it out. I think the only reason why they won is because they were home. Yeah, that's why I picked them. I think if it was in New England, I've seen I've seen the Patriots too much uh, dominate too many times uh, and win games they shouldn't win in the post Brady era in Foxborough. But yeah, Minnesota is a different animal. They've got a 
they've kind of got a sneaky good crowd there. They showed them doing the skull chants. And mm-hmm. I think uh, Mike Tirico made the comment that it was as close as we get to um, to a European soccer crowd up in Minnesota. Oh, that is a good uh... with how you know with the different chants and how how crazy they are. So look, I think it made a difference. I think you're completely right. Yeah. Uh, wow, the guy who's never right, and you said was completely right on that one. <laughs> the guy <laughs> but, who's sometimes right. Yeah, I, I guess I'm going to have to change it for next week. But this, I won't change it for this. Moving on, next game, Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Cleveland Browns. And I'm not going to lie to you, this is a blunder on me. Because I said to myself while I was picking these games, I usually know who's home and who's away on every game without looking. It's just a weird thing that I have. But I could have sworn that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were home in this game. So I said, ah, Bucks at home against a really bad Cleveland Browns defense. I'm going with the Bucks." And I said to myself, when I turned it on, I was like, well, you know, this is Cleveland. So I probably would have picked Cleveland because this is a perfect Cleveland Browns random win. That's not going to mean anything towards the end of the year. And I probably would have picked them if I knew that it was in Cleveland. But that's definitely a, a blunder on my part. But uh, I mean, I, I, Jacoby Brissett in his last start, essentially, because it was confirmed today that Sean Watson will be starting next week. Uh, he played really well. He he actually, despite a four and seven record as a starter this year, I don't think Jacoby Brissett was really that bad. I'm going to actually pull that up right now and see and see his stats because I really don't think that he was that bad this year. No, because remember, early in the season, it was the defense that really, really cost them, like repeatedly. Uh, he played well, and, and obviously Nick Chubb has played well the whole year. If they would have just coordinated that defense a little better, they would have completely survived the Deshaun Watson suspension. Oh, I know they're this, not out of it yet. But, oh, this I mean, is very about, interesting. This is very interesting. Yeah, so yeah. he threw for 2,600 yards, 12 touchdowns, 6 interceptions – but was seventh in the league in QBR. That's something that I, I didn't expect to see. I just want to see his rushing numbers real quick because I feel like, yeah, he only had one rushing touchdown. So obviously, I mean, he is getting older and he's, he's huge. I didn't realize he was 6'4", 235. I thought he was a little bit smaller than that. But um, I played really well, honestly, in, in, you know, no chance of him getting the starting spot, obviously. You're essentially a placeholder. You know you're a placeholder. Seventh in the league in QBR through 11 games. He, he did his job. He definitely did his job. And, you know, like I said, the defense, if they did their job, Deshaun Watson would be jumping into a playoff race. First of all, if they had just beaten the Jets in that game, which, you know, 99% of the time, of the time another team would have won it, yeah. uh, they'd be 5-6 and six and at least they'd have a chance. But if the defense didn't blow up in some of these other games – uh, they'd be really in it. I mean, they they'd be right near right near that mix. So you know, I give all the credit in the world to Jacoby Brissett. He did what a, a long term backup is supposed to do. The running game's done what it's supposed to do. Um, and luckily, it finally translated to a win. The fact that the Bucks couldn't take advantage of the Browns' defense continues to tell me that team is just not not very good. Uh, I think people kind of fell into the trap of thinking, "Oh, the Bucks are back." Brady's divorce is finalized, and they won two games. <laughs> well, he didn't play uh, but, bad, to be fair. No, he, no, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't good enough, especially no. in overtime. And now they lost Tristan Wirfs. Um, it's not for the for the rest of the season, but it is for games against the 49ers, uh, the Bengals. You know, so 
as much as teams with good pass rushes, as much as the Falcons keep choking this away in the division, they're only a half game behind them. And all of a sudden, if you move to an additional team, let's say uh, the Cardinals, because you never know at this point if the Bucks lose to the Cardinals, who knows? Maybe they fire Cliff and they've got some new life. I mean, you know, you've got these games against the 49ers and Bengals. There's still a chance that the Falcons win that division. In fact, can't rule out the Saints yet because they play the Bucks next week and they can pull within like a half game or something if they actually won that. I know that sounds crazy, but they literally be a half game behind the the, the Bucks. Um, but no, the, this, this game actually played out very similarly to how I expected it until that last few minutes of the fourth quarter. So I mean, can we can we actually talk? I, I completely forgot to mention it. Can we talk about how absolutely absurd on fourth and ten? that touchdown catch by David Njoku was, that was, I mean, I feel like it was just glazed over because no one was really paying attention to that game at that point. Yeah. But that was an unbelievable catch. And I even saw it like, I saw it on Twitter and I was like, wow, yeah, great catch. And didn't really realize the magnitude of it. He doesn't stick that bear claw out there and make that catch. The game's over. They lose. It's the play of his career. Yeah. I, I think I was one of the few people who was like, why are they franchise tagging him a couple of years ago? And now why are they giving him, giving him this big contract? He hadn't really put up numbers. He had requested a trade. That's why. He can make plays like that. That's an offense changer. Uh, but the the Bucks, I mean, like I said, 17-10 would have sounded reasonable to me. I would have I predicted that. Sounds good. Uh, but Njoku made the difference in the end. And Amari Cooper, too, made up for an awful drop. I don't know if you saw his drop. I think it was in the fourth quarter. Um, I could probably catch it. It couldn't be worse. <laughs> um, and then he made up for it by setting up the game-winning touchdown. So I guess it all ended well for the Browns, who are not done yet, especially because they play the Texans next week. Um, and But it, it still looks like Deshaun Watson's only going to be playing to get up to speed, not really to make a playoff run. I'm still starting him. You never know. I'm starting him. I have to. Against the Texans, I'd be stupid not to. Well, yeah, against a Texans revenge game, yeah. It would be hilarious, though, if Kyle Allen or somebody came out and beat him. I don't know if they're going to start Kyle Allen. I mean, either way, it doesn't matter. The way that the NFL has gone this year, Dan, to be honest with you, I'd be sitting here next week not even fully surprised. I don't don't think it would shock me either, but I won't pick it. I will will still pick the Browns because, yes, (laughs) we'll talk about it, but uh, the Texans are – one of the worst teams I've seen in my Ever. life. Uh, <laughs> so I did pick the Bucks. actually. I, uh, did you pick the Bucks as well? I picked the Bucks, and I didn't even really debate it much either. So credit to the Browns. Yeah, definitely. Moving on to the next game here. Uh, you have the Cincinnati Bengals and the Tennessee Titans, a potential playoff game, if you think about it. Definitely had a playoff feel to it. Uh, this was a, like, I think if you look at the final score, 20 to 16, this was – a more entertaining 20 to 16 game that I think you'll see on average. Uh, Maybe it's just because, you know, Joe Burrow and the Bengals were playing in this one, but I mean, it it was great all around between the, I mean, the fact that Traylon Burks got his first ever career touchdown the way that he did was absolutely hilarious. Uh, Derek, the freight train that is Derek Henry running at full speed. Let me ask you a question, Dan, how much money would it take you at that seat right there, open field Derrick Henry running as fast as he can. How much money would it take you to just stand in front of him? Do I get to wear any pads or anything like that? You get to wear you get to wear pads. You get oh, to wear right, right. Oh, that helps. I mean, uh, <laughs> something in the thousands, right? Because 
there's there's hospital bills to pay on top of it. <laughs> and if you if there's no pets, there might not be any hospital bills because I'm just might be it's his funeral arrangements. Dead on arrival, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a lot. He he's a massive human being for a running back. Yeah, it just in general. I mean, it's just in general. He's a massive human being. But yeah, this was definitely a um a really, really good playoff atmosphere game. One thing that I found interesting that like I had to I wanted to look up for today, but I didn't have the time. And maybe this is me as a fantasy owner of him, I've noticed this. But I don't I think like 75% of T. Higgins's catches and yards come in the second half of games. Because consistently I'll see his stats at like Zero catches, zero yards, three targets in the first half. And then I'm like, well, he's going to have a stinker. And then at the end, he's got like 10 catches for 150 yards and a touchdown. Like he just comes alive in the second half because I'm pretty sure he only had like two catches in the first half for like 11 yards and then just absolutely burst on the scene. A really nice touchdown catch for him him as well. Um, I think it's safe to say that the Bengals are are back. And the reason why I'm saying that, even without Jamar Chase, which is scary, is they're beating teams, they're beating p- perennial playoff teams, and on top, well, I shouldn't, I mean, two weeks before that, I shouldn't really say perennial playoff teams, but Tennessee is tough to beat. We all know that. We've seen that. And uh, the defense is playing a lot better now, which is nice to see. I mean, the, the, earlier in the year, it was not playing well. And the offensive line has started to clean up their act a little bit as well. So, you know, if you can get the team kind of sort of to where they were playing before the Super Bowl last year, to where, you know, the defense was was playing above average, Joe Burrow was being Joe Burrow, and the offensive line was holding its own, it's a pretty scary Bengals team that has a little bit of momentum now. I think this is, what, three straight wins for them right now? Or, or four? Yeah, I think it might be three, three, because that Browns game where they got they randomly got crushed by the Browns, I think might have been four weeks ago. Um, it was Halloween, so it's probably three in a row. Yeah, they had those blowouts over the Falcons and, and Panthers. Um, yeah, I mean, I think this is the best win of the season for the Bengals, really for the reasons you said, and it's just the team that they beat. The Titans are never an easy win. I don't care who, what team you are, what your offense looks like. It's not easy to beat the Titans, especially in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Uh, the defense is too tough. Mike Vrabel's defense is too tough. And, and you know, Ryan Tannehill looked great against the Packers. He he looked like he's finally found a little bit of a connection with some of those receivers. The Titans are one of the better teams in the AFC. Uh, to go into Tennessee, being the Spengals team that, you know, let's be honest, hasn't really lived up to some of the bigger moments this year. Uh, to prove it on that stage, uh, this looked like a game they would have won last year. You know, they went into to well, they didn't go into, but they went. They faced the Chiefs at home last January and just found a way to win. That's this reminded me of that they found a way to win against a really good AFC team. Um, you're completely right about the offense. It's not just T. Higgins. The whole offense comes alive in the second half. There's something. I mean, part of me wants to say, why don't you do that in the first half? But the other part of me wants to say, Joe Burrow might be one of the most clutch quarterbacks in the sport. Um, if you forget about the Super Bowl, where he didn't really do anything in the second half. They, they find a way to just kind of carve up defenses toward the end of games. And to do this without Jamar Chase, who's going to be back next week, I think they've kind of I, – I don't, I don't think they're going to the Super Bowl, but I think they've kind of warded off the Super Bowl hangover. Yeah. They are not the Rams. They are nothing like the Rams. Yeah, at the beginning of the year, they started 0-2, and the, the story was kind of, oh, well, the Rams and Bengals don't really look so good. The Bengals look like they did last year now. Maybe the defense is better, the offense is a little worse. That's kind of the story for the rest of the league, too, right? With offense down a little bit. Yeah. They're seven and four. 
They're, right now, they're back on pace to finish where they finished last year. Uh, they very well could win that division. I mean, if you look at the way the Ravens are playing, they're only separated by a tiebreaker, and they play him again, I believe. Yeah. So they definitely could win the division. And now they have the tiebreaker over the Titans. So you could see them in, in the two seed, the three seed. Um, I'm very impressed that, that they've kind of warded off this Super Bowl hangover. They look like the, the Bengals that we know and love. And even if they don't go to the Super Bowl, which it's going to be really, really tough between the Bills and the Chiefs, you could have said that last year, uh, they look like it's more than just a one-year wonder. They're going to be here to stay. And with Jamar Chase back, who knows? Maybe they do recapture the offense that they had at the end of last year. A lot, there's a lot for them to be excited about. And I, I'm saying all these things because I picked the Titans. I legitimately thought that this is one of those games where the Bengals come in and they're like, eh, they've got some flashes of last year, but it's not good enough. The offensive line isn't good enough. And the Titans defense just kind of outsmarted them. The fact that they won this game proved me wrong. Kind of has me excited about where they can go. Yeah, against a very, very good Tennessee Titans, a well above average Tennessee Titans defense as well. I, on the other hand, did pick the Cincinnati Bengals in this one. Uh, I knew BDJ was going to just start whipping it all over the field. No, I didn't. I just, I, I don't know. It, it just seemed kind of like what you said. It was kind of the opposite with me. I kind of felt like this is a game where the offense for Tennessee was going to fall flat and the Bengals were going to take advantage. So I, I it kind of sort of went that way. Because if you look at the point totals, I guess both offenses, you could say, flopped. But, uh, you know, it was it was a good – it was, like I said, a very entertaining 20-16 to 16 game. Now, moving on, really the final score of this game is 30 to nothing. The, the Dolphins just phoned it in for the second half. Uh, interestingly enough, people who bet on the Miami Dolphins' point total, the point total was 30-and-a-half for the game for the Miami Dolphins. The Miami Dolphins scored 30 points in the first half and scored zero points in the second half. So if you bet the over on the point total, you were sitting pretty at halftime, and then you somehow lost <laughs> that bet. The only thing I'll say about the Dolphins, they took out Tua really early, like and, a little too uh, early. The, the, the Texans made it um, they made it a, a two-possession game, and then they had a chance to cut it down to, I think, 11, pretty early in the fourth quarter with Tua out yeah. of the game. So that was a little bit of a – I think it was a little bit of a misfire. I think I think what they were doing was, I, I mean, there was I think it was like either back to back plays or three plays in a row where Tua got sacked and it was thirty to nothing, yeah. and I think they were like, all right, like <laughs> we're, pull, we're pulling him out of here because there was one especially where I think Jerry Hughes got to him and like pulled him down by his back and he like kind of folded over his leg yeah. and they were just like, all right, get this poor man out of here, like <laughs> put Skyler Thompson throwing the ball on. I thought that was strange. Like you're stopping the clock. That's why I felt like yeah. the game was moving in slow motion in the second half. Like, why but, are you stopping the clock? But I really honestly do think that's why they took him out so early was because the offensive – once Teron Armstead left the game, the Houston – well, whatever's left of the Houston pass rush kind of got to them. And that's where he was getting – I think he had sacked like five or six times in like the three quarters that he played or two and a half quarters he played. So, honestly, if that's a business decision where it's like, hey – it's 30 to nothing. I trust my defense put Skylar Thompson in there for the rest of the game. I think that's a great decision to make, honestly, because two is playing the best ball of his career and the offense is absolutely electric. You don't want to blow it for some measly game against the one nine and one Houston Texans. So I I'm fully okay with that decision. If that's the reason why, and honestly, if it's not, if they just said, eh, we don't really care about the rest of this game because the Houston Texans suck. I'd respect that too. <laughs> well, they're right. Because yeah. 
I, I, I don't know if I've ever seen a year where the worst team in the league was so clear cut. Even even years when there was an zero sixteen team with the Browns, um, you know, a few years ago, I don't think it was. I don't. At least they were playing some competitive games. The Texans haven't played a competitive game really. I don't know if do you want to count that Eagles game as competitive, or I guess the first half was competitive. Um, all I'm left wondering. I know there's no talent on the roster. I get that. I, but I'm still left wondering why they could have possibly hired Lovey Smith. I, I couldn't tell you the reason. It, you can't say it's to be a stopgap coach because they had that in David Coley and they fired him anyway. So I don't know. I, I'm hoping and I'm anticipating that they'll move on from him at the end of the year. Uh, because it, even though it, it looks ridiculous to fire a head coach after one season in back-to-back years, sometimes you just have to do what's right for the franchise. The 49ers did it. You know, it was embarrassing. They they went and fired Jim Tom Sula, and then they fired Chip Kelly literally 12 months later. But look, who did they hire? <laughs> Kyle Shanahan. Sometimes you got to make the best decision. I, have you ever have you ever seen? I, you mentioned Jim Tom Sula, and it and it and it, it reminded me. Do you have, have you ever watched the Dan Libertard show? No, I've seen clips, but I've never really seen that much. So they, they they used to do this segment, uh, who he looked like, and they used to take like like pictures of like people, and Jim Tom Sula was like all over that. Like they said there was a picture of him and it was like Jim Tom Sula looks like the guy that would go into a job interview with a mustard stain on his tie or just like just like stuff like that. And he was like the for some reason he was like the butt end of every single joke, and it was so funny. But yeah, no, you're right. I mean we all knew that David Cully was a stopgap. Lovey Smith, I feel like, was just a panic hire for the most part. Uh, I mean, besides for having a great beard, what has Lovey Smith done he to failed, deserve that he job? He at Illinois, the University of Illinois. Where- yeah, and, and and now you look at it, and it's what uh, Brett Bilema is, yep. the, and, and he's doing a great job yeah, there. Yeah, they're 8-4. They almost beat Michigan. Yeah. So, I mean, here, I'll say one thing. Because I really, it's a waste of time to even talk more about the Texans. They're, they're that bad. Why not hire Brian Flores? That that was what I thought in February. I know about the lawsuit. This they were still searching for a coach a few days after the lawsuit. Why not just say yes? He's going to come with some media attention because of the lawsuit. I, we get it, but we also have nothing going for us this year. Literally, you know, nothing. we should hire Ime Adoka. That's who they should hire. At this point, yeah, can he be really? Can he really be worse than than Lovey Smith? I don't think he can. But, but why, why not? Like, say, okay, Brian Flores clearly not a bad coach. Like, he's he's a good tactical coach. He had some issues with Tua in Miami, which might raise a red flag about you know a relationship with the franchise quarterback. But why not say like, okay, the circus might come to town with you know with the what he might bring with the media in year one. But also, nobody cares what we're doing this year. We have no expectations. Let's find our footing and establish ourselves as a, a real NFL franchise and let Brian Flores get his feet under him and then draft a quarterback in 2023. They can still hire him if they want, but I just don't understand the point of, of hiring Lovey Smith. That's all I have to say, though. I, I don't – like, why am I going to talk more about the 1-9 and 1 Texans? They should hire Jim Tomasula. Anyway. Uh, I'd like to see it. I'd like to see it. I miss that mustache on the sideline. <laughs> Uh, anyway, moving on. All right. So Dan and I talked before the game, the game, before the recording. And we said that we were only going to mention one game from week 11. And this is here. And I'm not going to mention the game itself. I'm going to mention really the aftermath. Dan, 
as you know, and everyone else, unless you live under a rock, Zach Wilson not only had one of the worst performances of a Jet quarterback ever, but probably one of the worst performances I've ever seen in NFL history. Now, it goes deeper than the stats. I know he was 9 of 22 for 77 yards, and that's awful, beyond awful. But not only that, he was just gun-shy the entire time. He looked terrified to be behind that offensive line. It, it looked like a boy playing a man's game. That was the only way that I could categorize it. And it's not because he looks like a young boy, because he was acting like a young boy. And it carried over into the press conference as well. After scoring three points offensively, they asked Zach Wilson if he feels like he let his defense down. And without hesitation, with complete lack of self-awareness, it felt like, he said no. Now, I don't know if he was trying to say that, maybe being like a team guy, maybe they went into the locker room and was like, yo, this loss is all on us. Like, this was a team effort. And he was really like, you know what? It was a team loss. You know, it was, you're right. And then maybe he tried to send it into the 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 press conference like that. But I think it was the smugness, the way that he said the word no, that really got to not only clearly the Jets locker room and coaching staff, but us Jet fans as well. Now, this is a guy speaking right now, the guy who's never right, was very high on Zach Wilson and was the biggest Zach Wilson apologist you'll probably ever meet. But after seeing something like that, right after the Jets beat the Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen, even though he had a decent game, came out and said, look, I played like shit. Literally said he was like, you can't win games if your quarterback plays like shit. Talking about his team, talking about himself, taking full accountability for it. And then Zach Wilson off of one of the worst quarterback performances in NFL history going, nah, it wasn't on me. We could have done better defensively. You know, like, that's just a smack in the face to everyone in the organization. And you know that really, really bothered players. I know that reports were out there about it bothering players, but usually even when it does, even when something does bother other players in the locker room, you don't hear about it. I mean, look at what happened yesterday with the Broncos with the, Mike Purcell kind of confronted Russell Wilson on the sideline, got up in his face. After the game, I saw the quotes from Purcell, from Russell Wilson, from Nathaniel Hackett. They all downplayed it and said, we're a team, we're just frustrated, this and that. Uh, nobody came out to say, to defend Zach Wilson's comments. Yeah. Um, and all the reports indicated, not just from one source, but from all these different reporters, indicated that there was some serious uh, displeasure with what he said. And I almost wonder if he would have still been the starter if he didn't say that. If he took accountability, uh, would Robert Sala have given him another week against the soft Bears defense? Maybe. Uh, but he played. He talked his way out of a job. He also played his way out of a job. I uh, completely agree with you. One of the worst – I said to people that day, that was one of the worst offensive performances I've ever seen from the Jets. Uh, and that says a lot because we have seen horrific offensive performances from the Jets. <laughs> I've seen Bryce Petty start games for the Jets – uh, this was probably worse than any of them. It was in- incredibly hard to watch. And that stat line, um, every game you can look at and say, oh, well, you know, this quarterback's throw and this other throw could have probably been intercepted. There was a chance for a turnover. This game, there were there were at least two throws where 95% of the time it would have been intercepted. I can't even explain how they didn't. The, the Patriots had two balls that ended up right in their chest and they didn't intercept them. So, uh, Zach Wilson is very lucky the line wasn't even worse. It should have been nine for 22 with two picks. 
at the least. I think um, Devin, I think Devin McCourty has more catches from Zach Wilson than half of his wide receivers. <laughs> well, I love this. I love the stats yesterday where Mike White passed Zach Wilson's yardage like on the first play of the second drive or something like that. Yeah, it was just. I mean, kudos to the Jet. See, like this is why I feel like this Jets regime and this Jets team is different because in years past, in regimes past. You know, you take those comments, you kind of eat it. You go, all right, well, this is our guy. We took him with the number two overall pick. We have to play him. And Joe Douglas and Robert Salah, and I'm assuming Woody Johnson too, sat down and listened to their players and their displeasure with Zach Wilson. Not only the players, but themselves. You're the number two overall pick, and this is what you're producing. You had two weeks to prepare for this matchup, and this is what you produce. You know, they were just coming off of a bye week. It was, a, it was a horrendous performance. And, you know, Joe Douglas and Robert Sala were going to have a tough pill to swallow. Hey, Mike White's going to start. And the number two overall pick from last year is going to sit. And presumably, it looks like, probably barring injury, sit for the rest of the season. Yeah. Because Mike White was fantastic. But besides the point, it takes a lot of balls for an organization to go, I don't care if he was the number two overall pick. We think that we could win or do something special now, and we're going to give whoever gives us the best opportunity to win the start. And Mike White, yes, a soft Bears defense, a depleted Bears team in general. I honestly think the Jets kind of went easy on the on the Bears in the second half. I think I think they could have put up 50, if we're being honest with you. But they went out and they dominated, and that's exactly what they needed. See, my, I texted my dad. I said, this team looks great today, and he goes, yeah, well, the Bears suck. I said, you know what? This is good, though. The Jets, if you're a mark of a good team, is beating up on bad teams. You, if you're supposed to beat bad teams if you're a good team, and that's exactly what the Jets did, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you that the Jets are a good team. The jury's still kind of out on that. I think that the defense is very, very good. Playoff caliber, honestly, if we're talking about – the defensive side. Offensively, there's still some things that need to be ironed out, but I do think that Mike White gives the Jets the best chance to win. Hell, I think Joe Flacco gives the Jets a, a good chance to win every week as well. I, I really just think Zach Wilson was the problem. They're one good game manager away from being a playoff team, and I think they finally realize that now. Yeah, I, I feel it feels like the adults are in the room. I mean, that's that's really what it is. After all the years of Adam Gase and all like that, Robert Sala and Joe Douglas are fully in charge and they know what they're doing. That's, that's the best feeling to have as a Jets fan. Cause when, when have you been able to feel that before? I guess since the early Rex Ryan days, um, what I'll say about Mike White. Yes. I, I think people made too many um, excuses for the bears, you know, the, Oh, it's, well, it's the, it's just the bears defense. And, you know, uh, it was raining first of all, and nobody has put up numbers like that against the bears this year. Uh, and it wasn't just checkdowns either, although I would have no problem with that because Zach Wilson couldn't even get those down, right? No, no, no. Mike uh, White was hanging brain yeah, over White that secondary. He knew, when, he knew when to check it down and not take a, a risk, and he knew when to throw it deep. Um, and I give a lot of credit to Mike LaFleur, too, because there were a lot of open receivers during this game. And a lot, some people try to blame the Zach Wilson debacle on Mike LaFleur and his scheme. Sure, he Everybody takes some blame when you fail like that. He does but, dial up some really bad first yes, down. But plays, yesterday, so. Lafleur Lafleur showed up. He he got you know receivers were getting open. Uh, the plays were good. I think he took a look at himself in that week and realized he it couldn't just be a quarterback change. He needed to change some things. Uh, but I'm I'm 
very excited about Mike White. I think the consensus this time is that things are different. I People last year, even Jets fans in the offseason, we were talking, oh, should Mike White start over Joe Flacco before Wilson comes back? A lot of Jets fans were down on Mike White. He only had one good game. He's, you know, he doesn't really take chances, this and that. Um, yesterday was different. That was, this was a smarter Mike White. Um, excellent decision-making, not really putting the ball in a, in a position where it can be intercepted. Uh, and he's, I think we saw the difference between last year and this year with the offense too. The weapons are so much better. I mean, oh, yeah. he said, I think, I know this was mentioned on the broadcast that he told them in the, in the, the broadcast meeting before the game, you know, I don't have to do what I had to do last year. This is a different team. I understand this team's different. Uh, and he played to the team's strengths. He, he, you know, used all of his weapons. Even Elijah Moore got involved, if you can believe I know. that. You know, <laughs> the running back was Zonovan Knight, and they were finding ways to get him involved as a pass catcher on the ground. He looked great. Um, he looked great. I mean, that that, but that's credit to Michael Floor and to Mike White for getting him involved. I have a good stat for you. Hell, even Ty Johnson had a touchdown. Yeah. <laughs> I have a good stat for you. Uh, I don't know if you heard this, but knowing you, you probably did. Um Zonovan Knight's 103-yard performance, total scrimmage yards, was the first time all year. Well, the first time all year that a running a rookie running back had 100 yards for, from scrimmage in his first career game. But it's also the first time since 1990 that an undrafted rookie running back had 100 scrimmage yards in his first game. So, and it's funny because that's. Something that we've been hearing a consensus as Jet fans through camp and through the season and through practice squad, you know, uh, reports and everything that Zonovan Knight's actually pretty good. And, you know, they, they were saying that he only needs a chance. And you know what? I'm all, I'm I fully trust the decision makers in this organization now. If you want to de- if you want to deactivate James Robinson, let Zonovan Knight play. Well, you must know something that I don't. And they did because Zonovan Knight played very, very well. Right. I, not to say that James Robinson wouldn't have done the same thing, but it's not like Zonovan Knight went out there and had 20 touches and turned it into 28 yards. You know, he he played well. And I just think that yesterday was a really, really good showing from the Jets, not only offensively, not only defensively, but in terms of kind of getting the trust of their fans back a little bit. I think that was a big step because I was buying into everything the Jets were selling yesterday. They could have been selling phone cards to me, and I would have, I would have, I would have taken it. I mean, they, they, <laughs> everything that they were selling, I was buying. So, um, and now this is the biggest test. I think this is the week that we really see if the Jets are contenders or pretenders because this is a very, very good Minnesota Vikings team that they're going into and playing. And I'll even take a close loss. Yeah, I don't blame them if they get if they lose that game. I just would not like to see them get blown out. I mean, look, you have to come away from it feeling pretty good if Mike White performs, right? Yeah. Uh, we're not saying do what he did, do what you did against the Bears, but if you can come out and look like a respectable quarterback better than Russell Wilson, I'm uh, not Russell Wilson. Well, yes, you have to look better than Russell Wilson. <laughs> and Zach Wilson. Um then I then I think there's something to work with there. You know, you can you can feel really good about going into those final five games, but We'll see. I think next week will be a big test. Yes, I, I'm not one of those people who's like, oh, it's the Bears. Uh, but the Vikings are not the Bears. So I think there's going to be a lot to, to talk about after that game one way or another. Absolutely. I did pick the Jets because 
fuck yeah, I was going to pick the Jets against the Bears. Fuck the Bears. Um, we didn't even have to talk about Justin Fields this week. That's great. Um, moving on. Oh, man, you have no idea how sad I would have been if Justin Fields had like an amazing day against the Jets and they beat the Jets and I had to talk about it and I had to give praise to Justin Fields. It would have been my worst nightmare. But moving on to the next game, I mean, I I kind of just want to talk about more of the commanders than anything because like the run that they've been on is not being talked about because if you guys recall two weeks ago, I thought that the Washington commanders were like five games under 500 because I feel like just no one cares about their results ever. And they're seven and five and they're beating some pretty decent teams. Obviously you beat the, you know, the Philadelphia Eagles. You're going to, you're going to be on notice about the Washington commanders. If you beat the last undefeated team in the NFL, but that's what that's two weeks since that happened now. And they're still on this winning streak and they're still playing really good football. And it's not necessarily pretty, (laughs) But they're getting the job done, and that's all that matters. And they've got Chase Young coming back, too, which is going to be between him. If he can look anything like he used to, next to Montez Sweat, who's having a great year, um, that's going to be a, a, a really, really good pass rush, kind of the pass rush we envisioned last year that never really came to fruition. Um, but, I mean, 7-5 and five is 7-5. and five. They're in a playoff spot. If the season ended today, they travel to Minnesota uh, to face their former quarterback, Kirk Cousins. So can't argue with the results. I think Ron Rivera deserves to be in the coach of the year conversation. Um, And not only because of the adversity on the field, but also so many teams would fold with, you know, these Dan Snyder updates coming out every single week, but they've only gotten better. They had a quarterback change. They've found a way to incorporate Taylor Heineke back into the offense and get it working. Like you said, not pretty, um, but prettier than the Falcons. The Falcons came really, really close to winning that game. Uh, that was my lock of the week to have the Falcons plus four. If they had scored that touchdown at the end, even if somehow the commanders went down the field and won it with the field goal, I still would have gotten it. But Kendall Fuller had to ruin my lock of the week and pick <laughs> off Mariota in the end zone. I love nothing more. So that ended that. Um, but I think that's who they are. They're, they're a team that is the middle, middle of the road, but they can beat teams that don't have a powerful offense. The Falcons don't have a powerful offense. Don't even ask me how they beat the Eagles. I don't know. Um, but now the referees got the Giants. helping out with that one. I think they have two games against the Giants coming up because they, they have the bye, the bye week. They're literally their next two games are against the Giants. They have one. That's so stupid. And, and then a bye week and then the Giants again. That is so dumb. And if they can just take one out of two, they're actually in pretty decent shape for a playoff spot. The only other team in the mix right now Everybody's four and eight or four and seven. And then above them, it's the Falcons at five and seven, the Seahawks at six and five. And then you're you're off to the playoffs. The commanders are seven and five. So they're surprisingly in really good shape. Uh two out of the three between the commander, Seahawks, and Giants are gonna make it, it looks like. And uh, I think it's gonna be the commanders and the Giants, honestly. Considering who they have left on their schedule. But the only thing there is they can beat each other up and it gives the Seahawks a chance to come back and, and that's take true. Take true. ground back. So we'll see. Uh, yeah, I, I'm impressed from what I'm seeing with the Washington Commanders. And, uh, you know, it. it uh, what can we say about the Atlanta Falcons that we haven't said 26 times already? I mean, this is a team that somehow still finds themselves in every single game. And I think that that really is a testament to Arthur Smith and Dean Pease that they're able to keep this not talented group of guys somehow motivated to keep winning football games. 
Um, so hats off to them. But the Commanders get the dub. I picked the Commanders. I, I thought they were thoroughly going to win this football game. Uh, I'm sure you did. Did you pick them? I had the Falcons winning this game. And as my lock of the week, I, I was pretty confident in it. But nope. Nice. Okay, because moving on. When do the commanders have home field advantage, right? Like yeah, they, I guess. They advantage from FedEx Field. So I thought this was a good one. You know, a nice Arthur Smith wins an ugly game type of thing. Yeah, well, it happens way more often than not. All right. I'm not going to lie. I want to spend 30 seconds on this next game because <laughs> I hate I hate talking about the Denver Broncos. The Denver Broncos are putting up 14 points a game with a $250 million quarterback and a seemingly pretty good offense. So, and it's terrible. I, I, I'm still not sold on the fact that Russell Wilson is washed. I think that it's more of a Nathaniel Hackett problem than it is Russ, but Russ doesn't look great either. No. They're just – it's a mess. Denver, this has got to be one of the biggest busts of a season. I mean, this was a team that we thought were a franchise quarterback away from being a Super Bowl contender. And and now they're 3-8 and eight and suck a ton of ass. And, <laughs> and the only thing I'll say on the Carolina Panthers side is they're literally playing themselves out of either Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. Sam Darnold, QB1, 2023. Hell out of here with that shit. <laughs> Sam Darnold, QB one. He already got the job for uh, out of after the bye week. What a disgusting display! I'm yeah. sick. Nathaniel Hackett is almost guaranteed to join. Listen, I don't like firing coaches after one year, but like I said with Lovey Smith, sometimes you just got to make a decision that's best for the franchise. It works out more often than not. Uh, he's about to join the Freddie Kitchens, Steve Wilkes, you know, all those one year one one year. Uh, listen, coaches. listen. He's going to be a great coach for the Toronto Argonauts. All right. I'll tell you that. <laughs> you sure? Uh, no, I picked the Denver Broncos this week. Why? I don't know, but I did. I uh, picked them too because of Sam Darnold. I didn't have any faith in <laughs> Sam, but. Same good for you. you know what? Good for Sam. I'm okay with that. But then, I mean, can the Ravens piss away any other games? I mean, this it's ridiculous. Oh, you know. Hats off to Trevor Lawrence. Best game easily as a pro. He and I think I think Trevor Lawrence is sort of turning the tide and is starting to be more of a superstar than a bust at this point. And I, I I don't think that Trevor Lawrence is a bust. But we've talked about this in weeks past. The guy is going to have monumental expectations on his shoulders for being that generational guy that went number one overall. And even if he's a decent quarterback and he throws 35 and 15 every year, oh, well, that's not elite. But you know what? This four and sevens Jack Jacksonville Jaguars team is fun. Doug Peterson going for it there. What do you have to lose? You're three and seven and you're not going to make the playoffs. I love it. I love it. Go for it. Go for it. You know what? You know what? Next week when they're down 10-6 on their own 35-yard line, fourth down and seven, Go for it. I love the aggressiveness. I love it. Go for it because literally you have nothing to lose. There's there's no reason why you shouldn't be going for it. And worst comes to worst, you lose, but you make an aggressive play call and you get a better draft pick out of it. So I, I'm not really necessarily mad at that, but I think the Jaguars played awesome. I think that this was a really, really great victory for Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence. And this is just another devastating loss for the Baltimore Ravens. 
why didn't they sign any wide receivers? He doesn't count. I'm talking in the offseason. Like, you know, we all laugh like, oh, they're going to run the ball and they have Mark Andrews. Like, okay, it's not, it's clearly not enough, uh, especially when you have Marcus Peters blown the entire game for you. He's so uh, bad. On, on the other side of the ball. Um, but for me, I, I do think this game was more about, about Trevor Lawrence because he, he was impeccable on that last drive. Actually, even before that, too, he, the touchdown to Jamichael Hasty. Yeah, it was uh, a beautiful he, throw. He read that perfectly. Uh, and then that last drive was was tremendous. And we talked about it, I think, a couple weeks ago. And I said, he hasn't been as bad as people think this year, especially in clutch moments. I mentioned he had that uh, go-ahead drive against the Broncos where the, his defense blew it. I don't know how you blow it against the Broncos, but they blew it. Um, he he had that game, nearly a game-winning drive that brought the Jaguars down to literally the one-yard line against the Giants. Um, and there was one other game. I had it in my head earlier, and I was thinking about this talking point. I forget which game it was. I'm sure I'll think about it later, where he had another great drive late uh, late in the game. Um, he he He's clutch. Like, he's actually comes up – oh, it was against the Colts. He had a great drive. He had a big drive against the Colts. The offense had a really good day that day, and that was the one game where Matt Ryan and the offense just like exploded. Uh, <laughs> Literally, for, the one game. Yeah, for no reason at all. It was it was two weeks before he was benched. I'm pretty sure. Um, but Lawrence had a good game that day, and the defense blew it. Uh, and yesterday, the defense showed up. Not not again. Not on that play with the with the Sean Jackson. But other than that, they showed up. Uh, and Trevor Lawrence looked the part. And if you look at his numbers here compared to last year. So much better. I mean, I understand yeah. if you if you look at his numbers this year in a vacuum, you'd say, all right, maybe not where I thought he'd be in year two, but getting close. But if you look at the improvement from one year to the next, it's exactly – it's all you could have asked for. Um, did you see the the video of Andrew Wingard, who's a, a Jaguar safety? He's been there since 2019, so he played under Urban Meyer. He had, he had a great interview after the game. He was like – he's like, I feel so bad for Trevor – you know, he had to play. He had to play his rookie year under Urban Meyer. He didn't even really have a rookie year. And then he said, uh, "He's like, oh, I could. I gotta find what he said about. Oh, he's like, I could. All right, let me look it up because I'm gonna sound ridiculous if I start making. <laughs> this won't be hard to find. But I think this kind of sums up the mentality that they all have in Jacksonville now. Mm -hmm. And I spelled his name wrong. Hold on. He said, I would die for Doug Peterson, I swear. I love that guy. Oh, I, I did see, I did see that. That's right. in Jacksonville right now. They love him. I love him. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, all right, Deb. Take it easy. But no, no, no. I, I was just going to say there's no reason for them not to. This is a guy who I feel like was un was was unjustly fired from his position with the Philadelphia Eagles sat back, waited for a golden opportunity, and they handed him Trevor Lawrence. And he's doing very, very good things with Trevor Lawrence and this Jacksonville Jaguars team. I'm very happy with the direction that they're going. And who knows, maybe they're one good draft class away and one good free agent class away from being a, a contender in that AFC South. Um, back to the, the Ravens. It's just another devastating loss. I mean, I don't even know how else you could you, sign a wide receiver. That's not 37 years old. Uh, moving on, this was my lock of the week, which I did lose, but at least the team won. So at the end of the day, I guess I won. I should get a half point for that, Dan. I, I think I think you should give me a half point for that, and you should get your half point taken. You should get a half point taken away from you because your team lost, and you picked the 
whatever. <laughs> just I'm just trying to get get points up on you. But this was actually a really really good game. Surprisingly, the Arizona Cardinals pulled ahead. Uh, I was pretty shocked when I saw that. And then I saw that the Chargers weren't really playing that great. It was consistently like, oh, well, they fought back. They tied it. Uh, and then Arizona went right down the field and scored again. But kudos to the, the, the L.A. Chargers. Their defense stood strong in the fourth quarter, forced a couple very favorable punts, got some really, really good field position for the Chargers. And again, I just said it with the Jaguars. I'll say it again here. Brendan Staley makes some boneheaded decisions. Great decision to go for it there. Your playoff hopes are essentially alive at that point. You can't afford to go to overtime. You have to win the game there and now. And they did. Yeah, I um, talk about turning the narrative. I mean, the whole game I was thinking, well, this is not a good look for the Chargers. Like, you can almost excuse them when they get owned by Travis Kelsey, you know, and and they blow a game like that. Like, they just don't have to standard here. I know they have injuries, but they should be beating the Cardinals. We all agree on that. Um, part, you know, part of me still feels that way. Like this should have been over before it was over. Uh, but you, they can avoid the uh, you know, the, the criticism for a week because they go to six and five and they're still within playoff range. Um, the Cardinals, man, they first of all, Cliff Kingsbury's gone. He's going to be gone. I'm sure they'll wait till the end of the season to do it. But there's, there's, I, I can't imagine there's any chance they bring him back. You'd alienate the entire fan base if you brought Cliff Kingsbury back. But it's not all on him. And I know Kyler Murray kind of called Cliff out and saying that, you know, they had it schematically. They weren't uh, up to, you know, up to par with the Chargers. And he's right. Uh, But they had what? I think it was three, three and outs in the fourth quarter on offense. Mm -hmm. That that can't happen. You can't blame the scheme for that. I'm sorry. If you are the $200 million quarterback you say you are, you have to at least get some first downs. Forget touchdowns. Forget field goals. Get some first downs for your team. Make a play when you've got DeAndre Hopkins. You've got Marquise Brown, who returned yesterday. James Conner had a great day, too. He had 120 yards on the ground. Make a play. Do it yourself. You can run the ball, too. You're supposed to be a mobile quarterback. Don't blame the scheme when you go three and out three times in the fourth quarter and can essentially ice the game or at least uh, put the game in your favor every single time. The the excuses are – I didn't hear the rest of the press conference, but the, the excuses I hear from that. Uh, are terrible when you're blaming the scheme. Yes, Cliff Kingsbury, send him away. Send him, send him to the sun. He, he, it's over for him in Arizona. But there's no excuse for Kyler Murray disappearing in the fourth quarter against the Chargers. Yeah, I mean, it's like beating a dead horse at this point. This is a guy. I mean, and the Cardinals are fucked essentially in terms yeah. of financially because they're stuck with this guy now. Maybe the the tide will turn. Uh, when they get another coach in there, maybe he'll he'll rekindle a little bit of his rookie his rookie year magic. But I don't know, man. I think Kyler Murray is just a, a like. I he's can't no even Mike say White. that he's. Uh, what'd you say? He's no Mike White. No, exactly, and that's really what it boils down to. He's no Mike White, and I'm actually just going to leave it on that. He's no Mike White. Uh, <laughs> moving on, the next game we have here. Good game. Really, really good game. A, a game that I didn't think was going to be as good as it was. That's the Seattle Seahawks and the Las Vegas Raiders. 40 to 34. And uh, absolute killer for the Seattle Seahawks. They had a real opportunity to make some ground up in the in the, in the playoff race. And they squandered the opportunity to the Las Vegas Raiders. And uh, the Raiders, two straight wins. Two straight wins here. Um, 
let me just put this out here. It doesn't matter what happens in LA and in Las Vegas this year because the Raiders are cash poor and they cannot afford to fire uh, Josh McDaniels. So unfortunately, he won't be the <laughs> New England Patriots offensive coordinator next year. Uh, he well, after these two games, forget it. These two games, oh, forget it. He's locked in for the next three years Mark, now. Yeah, Mark Davis might give him an extension after these. Two. <laughs> uh, really, the the main story here. Don't get me wrong, Derek Carr after two early interceptions actually played really really well. Um, Josh Jacobs is on another level this year. Yeah, the game and, with his wife. And I think he took it personally when they declined his fifth year option. And he was going to say, you know, screw you guys. I'm going to go out, have the best season of my life, and I'm going to sign with someone else. And I think we're forgetting that this is year four of Josh Jacobs, and he's only 24 years old. And he's essentially just hitting the prime of not only his career, but he's hitting the prime of his his physical development as well. This is This is it for him. And he's been outstanding. 303 total yards yesterday, 86-yard uh, touchdown to sink my fantasy season, I was up by six when Josh Jacobs got that ball, and I lost. And that's it for that and, team. And to think if he had only had something like 200 yards, he would have actually been in pretty good shape. Yeah, exactly. But the guy had to have over 300 total yards, but he was fantastic. Uh, no doubt about that. And on the Seattle side, I mean, Geno Smith was still good. Uh, he he just fumbles the ball in the most crucial situations possible, I feel like. And it, it, it's, it's basic. I mean, Max Crosby stepped up, sacked him there big right before um, overtime. I think it was the third down. He dropped back. Max Crosby sacked him, essentially sent the game to overtime. So um, despite giving up 34 points, I think the Raiders played pretty well. Like I said, devastating for the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, Gino was overall good, but there were those moments. And they had two, they had two opportunities to win the game. I think needing a field goal both times. Oh no, the first time was it, first time needed a field goal. Second time was at the start of overtime, I, I believe. I don't know. I forget if they got the first or second possession of overtime, but they had two big chances to win it, uh, and they couldn't do it. And that falls on him. Um, the other thing too is Kenneth Walker was completely shut down again. He was shut down by the Bucks a few weeks ago, and you know, those are two of their losses. So. Uh, but clearly they need to get that run game going again if they want to win games because that, yeah. that seems to be the difference when they lose games. Uh, but, yeah, like I said before, for a few reasons, they're still in it. One, there's not a, not a ton of competition in the NFC wildcard race. Uh, the Giants and Commanders are going to beat up on each other a little bit, and uh, and they have the tiebreaker advantage over the Giants. So there's, there's a few reasons why you could still see Geno Smith in the playoffs. I think they actually have a pretty decent shot. But they've got to start winning these games. This was a very winnable game for both teams. It was. And Josh Jacobs was the difference in the end. Kenneth Walker, 24 yards or something like that. Josh Jacobs, 303. There's the there's the ball game right there. Yeah. Um, I mean, the next two games are just like I, I mean, did anyone really expect the Rams with Bryce Perkins at, at quarterback to win? I'm it was nice. It was that close. It was nice that he threw a touchdown with like 30 seconds left. That was cool for him. But, I mean, the Rams, I'll say it and leave it at this. The Rams are the worst defending Super Bowl champions of all time. And Travis Kelsey just keeps building and building his career resume towards the greatest tight end of all time every single week. Uh, that's all I have to say about that game. 
Yeah, if you said if you came out and said Travis Kelsey's a Hall of Famer, we're at the point where people would say, okay, and you know we already know that. Yeah, he's, he's been that dominant for so long. Um, I think the only question left with the Rams is is this it for Sean McVay? He was very open last year about how he, the, you know, the the rigor of coaching wore on him, and he could get a lot of money doing a TV job, and he's got a family now. He got married last offseason. But he came back because the whole group came back. Um, yeah. After this, I think if Aaron Donald retired after the Super Bowl, he was out. Yeah. Well, you know, I think if he retired right after the Super Bowl, but if he if Aaron Donald said in May that he's retiring, which was apparently the plan, I think it would have been too late for McVeigh. But now, I I do wonder if if we're looking at the end of the line for him. Not obviously, and for anybody who didn't catch that before. On his own terms, the Rams would never fire. He could have 10 no. more losing seasons. I don't think the Rams would fire. Yeah. He's brought too much to the franchise. Well, I mean, look at how long the Rams kept, um, what's his name, Jeff Fisher around. Yeah, so. well, look at how John Gruden stayed around for like six years in Tampa after the Super Bowl, because even through losing seasons, because he he won the Super Bowl for them. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that would be fully his choice. And I guarantee you, if he became, he would become the next John Gruden if he left coaching because he wouldn't even be 40 years old, not even close. And teams would be reaching out to him uh, every single off season, maybe even during the season for, you know, giving, offering him a boatload of money. I'm just warning you that's, he's going to be in the rumor cycle every single year if he does decide to step away. But uh, I think he's going to be the name to watch in about five weeks. We're going to, we'll keep an eye on those, on those rumors, but that's it. Nothing else to say about the Rams. Uh, the San Francisco 49ers beat the Saints 13-0. That's the only thing I got about nothing. that game I have to say. Well, actually, oh. one thing I want to say, speaking of coaches, I think that the most coveted head coaching prospect going into next year is going to be D'Amico Ryans because the guy has been fantastic. He's turned that deep. I mean, the defense, I feel like, has lost so many pieces either through injury or free agency over the last few years, and he's just turned them into an absolute juggernaut. They are first in almost every defensive category. I mean, sure, the shutout helped, but they are they are first in almost everything, and he's done an amazing job. Texans. He's a former Texan. They should hire him. Come on. The only I thing would is, never the leave the 49ers for the Texans. Well, a head coaching job is a head coaching job, but I do wonder, because of how many options he has, uh, if, he would, if he would pass on that. I probably would. But I wouldn't rule it out because, one, he knows Houston – and and two, a head coaching job is a head coaching job. And Eric Bieniemy and guys like that have proven that you can't, you know, you can't always wait a year and be guaranteed a head coaching job. So, um, just just my thought. But yeah, they've shut out. What is it? Four consecutive second half shutouts. Unheard. Yeah. of. That's unheard of. I don't That's care who you're playing. This is the NFL. That's unheard of. So, D'Amico Ryan stock rising immediately. Kyle Shanahan stock rising too. And a lower from the defensive player of the year. Uh, and then moving on to our last game here, um, like I said way earlier in the beginning of this this episode, was the Philadelphia Eagles and the Green Bay Packers played a barn burner of a game that I didn't think was going to be, especially after the first five minutes when the Eagles were already up fourteen nothing and already had over a hundred rushing yards. I thought this game was going to be long over before even halftime. But let me just say this. For those of you saying, oh, well, here comes the voice, Dan. Are you ready? Uh, Oh, well, you know, Jordan Love came in and played well. uh, So that might be the end of Aaron Aaron Rodgers. Please, please, for the love of God, just shut up. Just come on now. 
because he came in and was down 17 points and threw a touchdown, it's the end of Aaron Rodgers. Just stop. Let's get out of here with this satire. Everyone sounded like Emmanuel Acho now, who consistently has the worst football takes I've ever heard. It's interesting, though. Listen, you see how quickly your stock can rise as an NFL quarterback. You literally have all you have to do is have a good quarter. I mean, Matt Flynn had a good game, and the Seahawks gave him a, like a three-year something million dollar contract. Um, I mean, look at look at what we all thought of Mike White off of literally one game last year. And now he's starting to prove that it's more than just one game. Mm-hmm. But if okay, if you say, look, we're sticking out this Aaron Rodgers contract, he wasn't healthy. We're going to stick with him. Well, Jordan Love's going to be a free agent after next year. Actually, no, that's not true because he's got that fifth-year option. But that's a lot of money if you wanted to pick that up. Do you look to trade him? Would a team be willing to give, you know, we talk about how many quarterback needy teams there are, and some of them aren't going to have high draft picks. Think of the Panthers, you know, teams like that. Or is Would a team actually give something up? Let's say Jordan Love has to make a start next week and looks pretty solid. Would a team give something up for him, and would the Packers be willing to give him up? I think that's what I'm thinking about. But Yeah, well, I mean, you look at this is the Matt Flynn thing all over again where maybe, Matt, Flynn, Matt Flynn was a seventh-round pick. No, but I'm saying that Matt Flynn came into a game 16, you know, of of a season because the Packers already clinched the playoff spot and went in there and threw for 400 yards and six touchdowns and then earned himself $36 million from, you know, the Seattle Seahawks. Obviously, it didn't work out because they drafted Russell Wilson that year. But you're right. It only takes a game for teams to come calling and... You never know. I mean, Jordan Love, what is this, year three or four of Jordan Love sitting on the bench? I believe sitting it's year on the, three. No, maybe it's not. No, it is. It is. It's year three. Yeah. Yeah. So year three of him sitting on the bench. Like if Aaron Rodgers commits, I don't, I guess long term would be two years for Aaron Rodgers. If he commits for another two years, you know, I, if I'm Jordan Love, I'm getting the hell out of there because I'm not sitting there for another two years waiting for my opportunity. Yeah, especially so, if you feel like you're proving a little bit, you know, which if he makes yeah. another start, he might feel like he proved that he's a starting quarterback. Yeah, it's a Brock, it's a Brock Osweiler thing all over yeah. again. It's just, <laughs> I, I always remember that. Oh, with the, the Peyton Manning? Yeah, we're just... <laughs> I love no, that. That's but... what I was thinking of last night because, you know, Rodgers went into the locker room and I'm thinking, oh, he's going to come out. Like they said, we thought it was the ribs. That's what the broadcast thought. So, you know, usually you can just get an injection for that. Yeah. And come back out. I thought Jordan, they showed Jordan Love on the sideline, like squatting, getting ready. I thought he's going to about to be Rock Osweiler out here. But <laughs> this is one of my favorite clips of all time. Just him, just like <laughs> he was on the sideline, like with, you know, he was in like stretching, doing this, you know, had every squat <laughs> position going. I thought this is going to be so embarrassing for him. But no, it wasn't good. Good for him. He got a few passes in. Yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled for him. Yeah, it's great. I saw the last point I'll make. I know you have to you have to get going, but I saw a ludicrous argument saying that, oh, I think Christian Watson should be considered for the, uh, you know, rookie of the year offense. I'm like, oh, my God, why? Because he caught a garbage time touchdown against the Eagles. He had under 250 yards before yesterday. Come on. The, the guy has three. So yeah, grant, granted, he's caught six touchdown passes in the last three weeks. I'll give you that. Yeah, yeah. No, but, but Chris, but, I think Chris Olave looks too good. Kenneth, a lot of people thought Kenneth Walker for a while, but he's. he's I'm still, I'm still hoping out for Brees Hall. Still, well, you know, Brees Hall would have ran away with it, but I think Chris Olave's got a pretty good grip on him. Oh, well, yeah. Damian Pierce was involved too. I guess he still could be. Yeah, well, he's had like 40 yards over the past yeah, two so, weeks. So. so for now, Chris Olave. Yeah. He looks like a star. He does. 
All right, my friends. Uh, like I said, a little bit of a shorter episode. Dan has to skedaddle his way on out to work now. So we will bring you probably a more in-depth episode, even though this was already in-depth, a more in-depth episode next week. Uh, thank you guys for listening to episode 19 of the ASM podcast. Next week is the historic 20th episode. So I hope you guys tune in for that. Thank you guys so much for listening.